Today we're going to continue on with our series, Red Letter Jesus. And we're going to talk about the great greatness in the kingdom. I was reading about this idea of asking the wrong question. You can get good information by asking the wrong question, but it's still the wrong question. Uh, while I was reading, there was a, a, an article in a business magazine, and they were talking about um, decisions that people in business make, and the, the writer gave an account of, of a Russian cab driver that he encountered as he was getting a lift in New York City. And the Russian cab driver um, told his story of how he, like many uh, Russians, and I, I didn't know this, um, are immigrating. And actually, there's, there's quite a, a growing population in Brooklyn, New York, of Russian immigrants. And so um, he and a partner thought it was a good idea to start a business, uh, a restaurant for uh, these Russian folks with, uh, you know, food that they would, they would uh, be accustomed to and food that they would enjoy. And so they went to work uh, taking this great risk, really, as any restaurant would be, and um, they decided to, to build this or create this Russian restaurant in Brooklyn. And so, of course, they had to make probably the biggest decision, and that was who was going to be their chef, right? Got to have a good chef. I love the fact that the island celebrates chefs. Um, I don't know. I don't hear about that too. Maybe it's because the restaurants I go to, but <laughs> uh, I don't know. Until I came here, I, I, I didn't know of so much celebration of chefs, and, and it's due, and it's appropriate. But anyways, um, the Russian cab driver um, had a conversation with his partner, and they said, well, who do we know who's a great chef? And they knew a very rich, very wealthy Russian family who had their own personal chef, and who everybody said, oh, this guy's amazing. And so they thought, well, there you go. Um, the answer to our question is, um, is going to be uh, this chef. He's going to be the guy who's going to be uh, the chef that we need. Well, they opened the restaurant, and initially reviews were excellent, but gradually uh, there started to be a sort of kinks in the armor, if you will, and uh, things started to look uh, not as good as the initial start, and the food was not as well prepared, and uh, the food would come out cold, and they couldn't figure out why this excellent chef was not producing excellent food. But they said the initial question was wrong. <clears throat> they had asked themselves, who, who is a great chef? But they should have asked, who would be a great chef for our restaurant? Huge difference. Serving a family and serving in Brooklyn. The amount of 
oversight, the amount of organization, the amount of people that are going to be working with you. And this guy was a great chef. He could produce food. But as you know, chefs, it's a bigger job than that when you're in charge of a restaurant or a chef of a restaurant. It's organization. It's uh, leadership. And apparently, uh, well, things didn't go so well. He was driving a cat after that, after that failure of, uh, the, Russian, of the Russian restaurant. Here's a question that his uh, Jesus' disciples asked him. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples seem to be quite consumed with this idea of greatness, of uh, rank, <coughs> hierarchy, position within the ranks. Uh, Luke, in fact, records two separate instances where the disciples got into pretty heated uh, arguments. In Luke 9, 46, it says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. And then much later in Luke 22, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And, and then there was, uh, on a more uh, focused level, there was uh, this incident in which uh, James and John decided to approach Jesus. And uh, in Mark's Gospel, we have this account. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we, wanna do, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> That's quite an ask. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Uh, uh, Jesus was not so naive as to sort of say, yeah, whatever. Um, and he said, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So they wanted to be the, the two highest ranking officials in the kingdom. And, and what's really embarrassing is that I think this is, we believe this is the same account, it seems to be. And the fact of the matter is they didn't even ask, their mother asked. How embarrassing. <laughs> uh, Mark tw Matthew 20 records the same instance. Grant that one of these two sons of mine sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Um... Have you no pride? <laughs> uh, crazy. But it's part of our sinful nature, I believe, to want to be great or to want to have that status, uh, recognition, influence. Uh, as you know, I coach little kids basketball. Um, starting at grade one up to, well, actually grade nine, I guess. And um, the littler kids, they're hilarious, right? They, you know, all right, who wants to be the captain of this team? Every hand goes up. They all want to be the captain, right? Who wants to demonstrate this skill? Every hand goes up, right? Um, they just want to be the first in everything. 
It's just human nature for them to sort of, it makes them feel special and good. Now, as adults, we're much more subtle <laughs> about it, but we do the same things. You all have heard of the pecking order, and we know the pecking order. We know the pecking order in at work. We know the pecking order in the organizations that we're a part of, including a church. We know the pecking order. And, and we try to get somewhere that sort of like has some level of esteem in that pecking order. It's just human nature. And so when we look at these disciples and their desire for greatness, uh, and they're getting into heated discussions, arguments, disputes even, um, it is uh, easy for us to sit in judgment, but at the same time, um, I would suggest that it's just part of human nature to want to have recognition um, and some status. And to be honest, as in many issues of life, our sin nature can blind us um, to our understandings of real truth. And you see this blindness in the disciples when you look at the context into which these disciples took up the issue of greatness and who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Um, Mark gives an account, Mark 9.31. First we read in Mark 9.31, Jesus speaking. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Shortly thereafter, they're leaving and they're heading to Capernaum, and we see in Mark 9.34, three verses later, Jesus asks, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. You have Jesus saying, I'm going to be crucified. And you've got the disciples shortly thereafter squabbling about who's going to be the greatest. Go back to that embarrassing situation in which the boys, the sons of Zebedee, got their mother involved. Mark 10, Jesus said these words. This is verse 33. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him, and three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. Seems really odd. But sinful nature has a way of making us blind to obvious truths. Once again, Jesus here, and in both instances, as their leaders telling his disciples what greatness is in the kingdom of God. It's living sacrificially, compassionately. It's laying down one's life for the benefit of others. But our sinful nature has the power to blind us to that truth. So let's just take a look at one of these situations a little bit more closely. 
We'll take a look at that Matthew 20 incident that's recorded with James and John. And I want to see the words of Jesus. I want to see what Jesus says in response to this request, this big ask, if you will, from the disciples. The first thing he says to them, you do not know what you are asking. You're asking the wrong question. You don't know what you're talking about. Why? Well, as we'll see, they had a really strong, uh, wrong interpretation of what greatness is in the kingdom of God. It's like having a discussion about the relative skills of the players on your favorite hockey team. And even after last night's humiliation at the hand of the Penguins, I still will say I am a Leaf fan. And, watch it, don't get cocky there. But you're talking about the relative skill level of the guys on the team, and you know, Marty's got this amazing way with the puck, and Matthews has got a great slap shot, and so on and so forth. It would be like, in the middle of that conversation, saying, well, who do you think has the best mustache? <laughs> this is how bizarre their question is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? That's how bizarre it is. So he goes on, and he says these really unusual words. Remember, here they are, the brothers asking for the highest and second highest ranking in the kingdom. He says, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Or going to drink? We can, they answered. I just wonder the level of bravado, we can, that they said that way. And Jesus said to them, well, you, you will indeed drink from my cup. Always the gracious response. You indeed will drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those who have been uh, prepared by my Father. Let's just stop there for a second and look at that. This whole idea of a cup that Jesus is going to take, what is that? What is that? Well, in Scripture, the cup is often related to how things are going for you. You know, this idea of my cup overflowing. Well, it's it's good. It's great. Things are going well. Your cup is overflowing. Right? Um, and so what he's saying here is really meant to take the wind out of their sails around their misconception of greatness. He says, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? I personally think that the, the cup that Jesus is going to drink is different than the cup that they will drink from. Because he does say, you will indeed drink from my cup. So I think my cup is different than the cup that Jesus was going to drink from because when Jesus says, can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink from? What is in that cup? 
The history of humanity is in that cup. <laughs> it's what Jesus is going to accomplish on the cross is in that cup. You cannot possibly, being who you are even, drink from that cup. That cup is reserved for the perfect Lamb of God who can take the sins of the world away. Will you drink from that? No, you, you don't clearly don't understand, do you? What I'm about to do. Can you drink from that? And they say, yes, we can. Well, no, you're not God. You're not going to be crucified. You're not going to be raised from the dead in three days, and you're not going to conquer sin, death, and sin. He didn't say all that. So in his grace, he says, well, you know, you will indeed drink from my cup, which is, you're going to suffer. Yeah. But your suffering is not going to accomplish what I'm accomplishing. Your suffering is going to pale in comparison to what I'm going through. The perfect God taking upon himself all the sins of the world and being forsaken by his loving Father. You have no idea. That, that's just in a whole different cup. A whole different realm. You can't possibly drink from my cup. However, yeah, you're going to drink and it's going to be suffering. You are going to suffer. But you're not going to accomplish all that I'm going to accomplish when I drink what I have to drink. And secondly, he says, oh, by the way, guys, it's out of my hands. I don't have the authority to say, James, you can sit on my right, and John, you can be on my left. It's not how it works. It's my Father who will determine that. It's entirely up to Him. You see in this, even Jesus' submission to the will of His Father. Isn't that incredible? So you guys, you really don't know what you're talking about. But then, of course, He needs to make it clear. And so we read in 24, logically... And who wouldn't be? When the other ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Trying to get special status in the kingdom. Right? So they're ticked off. Rightfully so. And so Jesus, understanding that there's dissension in the ranks, as the amazing counselor brings them together. Okay, we got to have a team out. Come on. Round it up, boys. we got to have a meeting. And he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here Jesus is revolutionizing the concept of greatness. Greatness is not what they understood it to be. It was really the opposite. When they asked, 
Can we sit on your right and left hand? They weren't saying, can we be subjects of abuse? Can we slave for others? Can we do whatever you call us to do? They were saying, ah, look at my credentials. They're pretty good. Right? We're pretty close confident to you. Confidants. We're close. Who else is going to be sitting there? Right? Look at those other guys. That's not what they're... They're not saying they want to serve. They're saying they want status. They want influence. They want recognition. This is why when Paul wrote about greatness, and he talked about Jesus, he wrote these words to the Philippians. Chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness in compassion, parentheses, Tim's inserting, if you want to be great in the kingdom, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Have the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made human, made, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. <clears throat> the very next words, which I don't have for you, because I want you to hear them, are the words of Paul after he said all these things about Jesus and his willingness to die, his willingness to humble himself, his willingness to serve, his willingness to deny his deity in the sense of not availing himself, like bringing down legions of army when he's being crucified by the Romans, which he could have done, but he refused to do. The very next words, he says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. <clears throat> Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? <laughs> Spots taken long ago. I like what Marshall Siegel says in the uh, Desiring God um, website, which I, I read from quite a bit. If you aspire to be great, Give yourself to the small, mundane, easily overlooked needs around you. God died that you might live, and that life, your new, blood-bought, forgiven, grace-filled life, was meant to be great. It was meant to be laid down in love for others. 
The world's concept of greatness is based on personal attributes, talent, hard work, intelligence, desire, attractiveness, skills, so on and so forth. We know the drill. The kingdom of God's concept of greatness is based on God's attributes. His grace and his mercy, his forgiveness, which leads his followers to passionately put others before themselves, to put the needs of others before their own needs. So what would have been the right question for the disciples to ask? Instead of, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus knowing exactly where that was coming from. Perhaps it could have been, how can we best serve you in building your kingdom? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for retaining these accounts for preserving these red letters in our Bibles so that we know your heart and your mind. Lord, we strive to climb the ladder. We strive to be respected. We strive to be recognized. And yet you are our example. And even though you were God, you chose to be a servant. Help us not choose a different standard for ourselves. As foolish as that would be, help us follow your example. And to be great, yeah. But to be great in the sense of greatness in the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.